0: From the city of brotherly love, this is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the season three finale of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to grow during complete global chaos. We've got a giveaway today, and you're going to hear about it at the very end of this episode too, so be sure to listen to the very end but before that we're gonna chat about the future of the workplace first though remember android users download the shark bite biz app at the google play store where you can find every single episode of the show the audio version the video version everything is right there in the app plus you can buy our fabulous copy right there it's seamless you just click coffee store bam you got it but hey if you're on you know ios or you know you don't want to download the app don't worry you can get the best coffee known on earth that is roasted sealed and shipped within a 24-hour period over at deadhousecoffee.com use the code shark you'll get 20% off and we'll get all the proceeds to keep making the biggest and best show we possibly can. Now let's get back to today's show. We're going to be chatting with one of my beloved colleagues about what they expect in the workplace for 2022. we're going to be talking about employee satisfaction, collaboration, transfer of company culture, family life, management skills, and I think most importantly, management transparency. All the good stuff you'll need to have 2022 start off on the right foot. So, who do we have today? None other than Carl Britton Lewis. Carl currently serves as an ambassador for Vision 33. Vision 33 solves customer business challenges and delivers on the promise of technology. In this role, Carl takes a leadership role in all things proactive related to the constant improvement of the Vision 33 customer experience. Carl is also the author of two books on SAP Business One published by SAP Press, the SAP Business One user guide. While working with Vision 33, He has presented more than 500 webinars and is also the host of the Connected Enterprise podcast. The latest edition of the SAP Business One User Guide will be published and available for purchase in December of 2021. So hey, without further delay, let's bring Carl right on in here business strategy carl welcome to shark bite biz you my friend you just became shark bait (laughs) thank you david so for those of you that don't know or just totally skipped the intro and went right to the interview uh carl has a podcast called the connected uh, enterprise podcast And I was just recently on his show. I hope it was a good experience for you, Carl. I think it was. I think it was. So we have a tradition on this show. Very first question. Tell us, what do you do for a living? How did you get there? Okay. Tell us, you know, all the secret
1: special stuff that basically makes Carl, Carl. Well, thanks, David. It's great to be with you. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, what makes Carl, Carl is, uh, you know, I've got a very very, a real varied past
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so I've been a lot of places i've had uh, i think explain varied because varied could mean a lot of things I've lived in turkey i've lived in uh, wow. puerto rico been to yep. i've been in every one of the fifty states through my life uh, worked in about ten of them and I've wow. uh, traveled you know for the last twenty five years all over north america so that's amazing and you know as you as you just said that because uh,
0: as all my listeners know, I just had back surgery and I interviewed with Carl pre-surgery. So pre-surgery memory is a little foggy, but that does ring a bell. I remember us talking about, I know I talked about travel on my side, but I remember you talking a lot about travel and how it has also impacted your growth, your
1: experiences, and just how you view things all together. Yeah, absolutely. And on, on top of that, you know, I, uh, I really started out in life aiming to be a minister, which I did for about 20 years. But then I moved off into business and uh, I've worked you know, in not-for-profit businesses, in the oil distributorship industry, and in software now for the last 20 or so years. So it's given me a great perspective of different types of businesses and what they do and how they do it. And so my work with Vision 33 uh, was initially in kind of the support area of helping customers mm-hmm. deal with their software. But and how really, long uh, ago was that? Uh, I think I've been with Vision Thirty Three for fourteen years, and I did basically the same job, the same job about seven years prior to that. So I give it say twenty years, I've been kind of in this particular industry, uh, working, um, and doing That's so uh, along the way. Along the way, I kind of became a um, you know a customer advocate, and so they came up with this fancy title of ambassador along the way. So it's uh, <laughs> uh, and as we not, grow, not, as a not company,
0: just not just ambassador but it is the chief sap business one
1: ambassador i think that was my my buddy alex is trying to get me a c-level title without any c-level responsibility (laughs) so that worked out great
0: (laughs) yeah and alex he's referring to alex rooney who has been on this show as well too so i've got to ask i mean you do a couple things you host a couple of different shows as part of your uh, chief SAP Business One ambassador role, you have your connected enterprise podcast, which for full clarity, uh, we love transparency in the show. Both Carl and I, everybody here that's watching, unless it's your first time, you know my day job is with Vision 33. And I occasionally bring on uh, Vision 33 guests because they are some of the brightest minds and some of the best people I know, and they shouldn't be excluded from the podcast just because, you know, I work there. We're two separate entities. So I wanted to bring Carl on and the Connected Enterprise is a Vision 33 podcast. Why don't you talk really quick about your experience in starting the podcast, some of the things you've
1: had to learn, how you've grown as a host? I'd love to hear your side of that. Well, you know, when uh, the idea was first given to me about, I think it's going on uh, three years now, this coming January, um, I was i was not necessarily uh, totally receptive because it was something new, right? And I can say all of the new things that Vision 33 has asked me to do, I've always been initially kind of reluctant, right? And yeah. so... Did you uh, even some-
0: really did you even really understand what a podcast was at that time? Right now, 2021, everybody knows a podcast. Okay. Back in 2017, did you really even fully understand the concept?
1: I, you know, I'd listened to a few, but I didn't know really what, you know, would go into it and, uh, or, you know, what, what approach I would necessarily take, which had to grow on me. And so, um, you know, my, my style is a little different than yours, David is, because I'm trying to get, I'm trying to ask questions and sort of listen to my guests talk about 80% of the time. And so uh, that's been the style that I've wanted to. I really kind of want to hear from them a lot. And the goal was to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different industries. Uh, there, some of them might be were my those, customers, some of them For
0: those of you that missed it, Carl just took a jab at me saying, David, you talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my show, I try to make it that interactive conversation that's Joe Rogan-esque. About 60, 40, 70, 30, in that range. It all depends on the guest. I mean, sometimes you get a guest and it's like, I'm the one that's talking 60% of the time because you ask them a question and they give one or two word answers. So you've kind of got to go with the flow each time. But yes, yep. it is a totally different style and depending on what you like i mean uh
1: both styles i think work and i think both styles fit each other of how we do it yeah for sure there's room for a lot of different things in podcasting and the uh you know the the goal you know is to talk to people from a lot of different industries about what their current experience is with with sort of a a hook on it about being you know how does your company use technology to stay in touch with customers with employees, with vendors. And uh, through this whole adjustment of the last two years due to the pandemic, there's been a lot of creativity. So it's uh, it's brought about a lot of uh, a lot of uh, interesting ideas. But now, you know, the whole audience is kind of listening to. I wonder what other people are doing. Maybe I should try that, right? So it's uh, been, been that sort of a, a goal. And uh, as I said, some might be customers, but most of them and industry people that are kind of in the same group that I'm in at at large but now i'm reaching out way beyond that and so uh soon soon i'll be interestingly talking to an individual for instance that um they decided to uh, put their whole life into a van and they conduct their business it's a you know pr business basically from a van oh i thought you were gonna talk
0: i thought you were gonna say tom green no tom green's doing the van life right now
1: yeah doing a podcast i believe too yep so they travel you know to a to a new place. Like recently, it was Baja, California. And uh, it's it's this, uh, this young woman and her cat, right? And so that's been how she's gotten through the pandemic. And uh, I found it a very interesting idea. And I want to hear from her, okay, I know what you thought it was going to be. What was it really like?
0: Yeah, I, I'd be interested. Have you monetized it? Because podcasts are hard to monetize, you know, unless you're getting because they're hard to prove the actual metrics. And then, just because you get ten thousand downloads, does that mean that ten thousand people listened, which is one of the reasons why whenever I post a show, this I don't know if we've ever seen it, but when I post the links, I put uh, YouTube because that's one of the easiest places for people for me to get metrics from. I put iTunes because you know it's iTunes. Spotify again, because it's Spotify. But then instead of putting a Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, you know, these are any of those other Stitcher, any of those other places out there, I end up going with Verbal. And the reason I went with Verbal is because Audra Gold, the CEO and founder of Verbal, came on here and she's like, Hey, the podcasting world is archaic and there's no true way to measure. How do you know those sites like Spotify that they're not just downloading it once? and you're actually getting 10 million more listens than what um, you know your stats show you on your hosting site because they're letting people listen to their copy, but they're not letting them listen off your main copy. And that's where Verbal changes that because they're going of a more streaming method that would be more in line with what you get watching it on, on YouTube. You get what I'm saying? So it allows you to get those insights to know that, Hey, are people not only just downloading the episode, but are they listening? Where are they stopping at? You know, what parts are the big, you know, the major listen to or the drop off points? They're building all this advanced analytics around it. And that's why I chose to be one of their ambassadors because I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is what the podcast world needs because it is growing. And, you know, speaking of growth, you're also now with your show on YouTube as well, right?
1: Uh, yeah, we posted you know, on YouTube from an audio and visual content perspective. And uh, like yourself, a lot of different places just from an audio perspective. And it is hard to find out you know, what the total score is. Um, although that's monetizing it or anything of that nature hasn't ever really been the goal of this particular podcast. I would say right. Your podcast is from
0: from Vision Thirty Three from yep. from the business. So I don't think they care monetizing it as much as Sharkbite Biz is looking for sponsors uh, as right. much as Sharkbite Biz would because it does cost money to produce the podcast. I mean, yep. uh, especially I think at the quality that both your show my show that they're at.
1: I mean, it it doesn't come cheap. No, there's a there's a whole group of people that support me in this, so I. I just have to do what I do and they take responsibility for all of the editing and the publication and those sorts of things and the scheduling, you know, of when it gets published, uh, I, I recruit my own guests and kind of keep them in line. Yep. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think it's more of a goal of, uh, you know, a con- from a content perspective of being a, uh, a trusted advisor to our customer base and our mm-hmm. industry and, and all of those sorts of things. So that's, that's why we do it. And, um, you know, just sort of building upon that. Uh, role we we just had a guest we just had a guest that his name is
0: jeffrey han he wrote the book breaking bad news anybody out there listening if you didn't see that episode check it out it's amazing it's about the PR world bad news what to do if one of your employees says something and they're trying to cancel you he talks about all that good stuff with us you can go to his uh uh his link and on his link you can actually get free copies of his book but i think uh, especially because he comes from the food industry he'd be an amazing guest for your show carl yeah i'll have to check it out I'll have to check it out for sure so i got two quick questions for you and then i want to start talking about the future of work okay one is is that on top of the podcast you have done i guess we can call it a show now back when you started it you probably wouldn't really call it a show as much as, Hey, I'm just doing a live chat. But now that we look at how, what defines a vodcast or a podcast, I would say that your Wednesday web chats for SAP business one is an actual podcast in and of itself.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, um, again, that was an idea that you came from our good buddy, Alex Rooney. And, yep. um, uh, And he really wanted to have us do something on a regular routine basis uh, for customers, right. From a kind of an educational 30 minute thing every week. And so that's really what Wednesday web chat was all about. And so Uh I had to be a fairly, you know, I I I don't like calling myself an expert because that implies something that I don't want to take responsibility for But a (laughs) a certain level of expertise was required in order to, Do something, show something, demonstrate something of value Mm -hmm. for that customer base. In those days, we probably had 150 customers, and now we have about 1,000. And so for many years, I did it every Wednesday. And to be honest with you, I got kind of tired of it after about five years. And so we cut it back to every other week. But Mm -hmm. there's probably approaching 600 episodes over the years that I've done. And so Is it hard of, to find content with that many episodes? Well, sometimes it's repetitive, you know, because with software versions change, so you're right. introducing things like new features, new benefits. Um, but then, you know, it kind of morphed into other areas, right? Where you're you're talking about more visionary things and about you know a, a structure, and uh, you know, as the cloud gets introduced or new in in-memory databases, you're talking about principles and technology advancement. So it's uh, there's there's an overlap with the podcast itself to some degree, yes. uh, but um, I I never never have cameras on with Wednesday Web Chat. That's one of the uniquenesses right. about <laughs> it. It's really you know we may have a demo, we may have a slide presentation. I typically have a guest. In the early days, I didn't have any guests. It was always right. just me. So it right. definitely has you know modified through the years, and uh, it has its own following. There are you know consultants and customers not necessarily vision 33 related people that mm-hmm. use it all the time from an educational perspective and um and it uh, has you know it's a, been an interesting part of one's career to be a part of yeah
0: yeah yeah and then just the last other thing i you know i wanted to talk about real quickly was the sap business one user guide i mean this is kind of cool because i can say
1: Carl literally wrote the book on SAP Business One. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm in first edition, which was published in 2017, December of 2017. So five years Mm -hmm. ago, um, it was based on a particular version of the uh, software uh, version 9.2. And I recruited several other people to write particular chapters, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I was the only author listed on the book. That's just the way that the uh, SAP press wanted it. Uh, this time around, you know, we updated the entire book recently to be compatible for version 10 and introduce a whole bunch of new features. I think it added about 100 pages, about 800 pages now uh, for the book. Wow! And, uh, and uh, it should be published this uh, December sometime. Just uh, in
0: time in- for them to come out with version 10.1, right? Exactly. It's always late <laughs> by the time it comes out. But that's actually fine because it, in the way that our world works is right about that time, that's when a lot of our customers are really going to be settling in on version 10. They're going to be really used to it. They're not going to want to upgrade. I mean, that's one of the nice things about business one is that many of the other cloud solutions force you to upgrade when they say it's time to upgrade. You might have just gone live and you just learned how to do all this stuff a certain way, and bam, you're being forced to upgrade. Whereas with Business One, you as the client control when you're able to to upgrade. And I always thought from a selling point of view, that was always a huge advantage for us because it's one of the instances of, look, you're not forcing the software to fit you, okay? This, the, the, this software is going to fit your infrastructure. You probably don't even need 10.1. It probably doesn't even offer the, you know, enhancements that are worth the cost, time, effort, of retraining people on different things. You know, maybe 10.2 is where you're going to find that value and it's time to upgrade that's for you as a
1: business aside the point is you're not forced to do it yeah there's there's good flexibility there to make it you know fit your calendar as opposed to their calendar especially on the it side
0: that's one of the big things i stress against netsuite oh i can't stand netsuite they try to say oh business one isn't real cloud and i'm like hey we can run in the cloud we can run on prem we have plenty of customers that are running hybrid because one location uh you know maybe there's some place like taiwan where the internet is very, very slow because of geopolitical reasons. So therefore they're going to have an on-prem server in in Taiwan and then overnight have that synchronized with the U S server, which are actually running on our Amazon web services cloud. And that's a hybrid scenario that try to do that with, with NetSuite. It's
1: not even possible. Yeah, I know it's been, you know, as I said, I've been working with this product since 2003. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's, um, there's, I, i've forgotten a lot let's put it that way
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah 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 hey there you go there you go uh
0: you went from wanting to be a uh a church minister to now you're a b1 minister so you still kept with the minister rolling away i've there's, got to, i've got to call that out there's gotta call a, that there's out. an
1: element of that that's for sure
0: yeah so let's talk about the the main reason that I had you on the show, which is the future of work. We've been in this pandemic, i guess crap we're we're probably about two, three months away by the time this show airs of almost two full years of being in pandemic mode since this show has started it's a it's a running joke. I've been saying, hey, We're at the tail end of this pandemic, and it just keeps going on and on and on. How is the office changing during this time period, and what changes
1: are going to be permanent? Yeah, you know that it's a uh, that's a target that nobody's hit perfectly yet. But I'll tell you some things that I've discovered in recent interviews. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are, you know, um, closing uh, satellite offices. And they're downsizing their head- headquarters offices. Right. As a part of that, they're also eliminating some, some private offices. And some mm-hmm. large private offices are downsizing also. So, wow. you know, that, that dream of the, the corner office is probably right. not as relevant any longer as it used to be.
0: No, um, no. It, uh,
1: it's more, give me the corner of my house. Yeah. I want the bay oh, window. There's a good portion of people that will remain uh, remote going forward who didn't have that possibility previously. A lot of people will be in a hybrid mode. Mm-hmm. Um, the in, insides of offices are changing. So they're taking a lot of the space that they're reducing from private offices and turning it into things like auditoriums mm-hmm. and multiple meeting rooms um, oh, wow. you know, that will fit whole departments and whole workplace audiences like an auditorium, right? So that yeah. they can have uh, more periodic and more powerful get-togethers uh, on an infrequent basis. Because um, they've kind of learned how to do that. It's been forced them right. uh, from a virtual perspective, but they also see some power on that. Now that the mm-hmm. downside, which there's always an upside and a downside, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that some people feel that it's going to limit their ability to collaborate and- uh, right. And to sort of create things on the fly when they're not really with each other all the time. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, I'm a little older, a little older. He uh-huh. said, so I really <laughs> kind of like that, you know, management by walking around. I can tell you my, my, you know, people that I have worked with and worked for um, love that feeling of, I can just pop into your office, you know, and give you something to do or ask your opinion about something. And it's a much easier way um, I can tell you that one of the guys, instead that of like sending an email
0: to, that can be misinterpreted and next thing you know, you're having a call with HR
1: misinterpreted, or it's a lot easier to ignore me if you have to answer my virtual team's call. Right. Right. So, right, right. Um, you know, and so, cause I feel like sometimes some people that used to be available to me with just three steps across the hallway are now difficult to locate. Right. In that sense. Yeah. You know, one one other complaint to that same string of
0: what you're saying is also to especially with younger workers, that it's going to be harder for them to advance their careers. I've seen that on Forbes. I've seen it on HBR and I've tweeted back on both of those articles. I have actually tweeted the actual writer like, hey, you know, this is Foss. Peers, you know, if you really believe in that, or the, you know, they also brought in office politics, dynamics stuff like that, then it's like, do you really want to be working in a place like that, anyways? So I don't believe in it. I, I think there could be because nothing can replace a personal touch. Personal touch is critical, it is important. Like you were just saying, you need to have a certain degree of that. I think. What needs to happen is there needs to be a measuring stick as far as how much virtual versus how much in together. I could tell you, and I've said this many times on our show, you know, the region that I manage, the Northeast region, has since day one, we've been a virtual team. We've always been virtual, we've spread out throughout the Northeast. And this is pre pandemic. And we haven't had issues. I've had plenty of people that got promoted within the company to different roles. I have many people that got promoted within my region to management roles inside of my region. So it has not held them back. And that's where I think that it comes out of a false fear. And ultimately, it comes down to the corporate culture of whether or not these are actually issues
1: and challenges with working remotely or not? What's your take on that? That's a lot. Well, I think, you know, it it is, it may be a a false fear to some degree, but there's also a lot of people, and this is a concern that many of my Mm -hmm. friends in industry have, they're all seeing people moving in and out of their organizations at a more rapid pace than ever before. And part of it is, I think, the opportunity for advancement is seen as being elsewhere. because As you were just saying, David, when people are away from one another, they have a sense of isolation, and I, what's, they don't know, they can't perceive, they can't see the next step up. And, and so that's they often are I, moving I, out to get up.
0: I have, I, again, I have a rebuttal to that as well, too. And that is we have an aging workforce, people that are probably, I'd say, within five maybe 10 years max older than me, and I'm 38. So I'd say 50 younger, maybe 45 is the bridge. I don't know. It's somewhere between 45 and 50. They're used to jumping. Uh, that generation above them, they worked those jobs for 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years. They were used to you know, being frowned upon. Oh, you worked at a job for a year and a half and then you left for someone else. You know, whereas when you get, I think this again, the line somewhere between forty-five and fifty is where the job jumping now. Usually, a year I think is still a little early. It's somewhere between uh, probably two to three years. I think is the average time, and I think the pandemic has compressed it to where it's more eighteen to thirty months on the time frame that someone's going to go to workplace do their job, get their experience, earn their money and then take a much higher paying job elsewhere. I think that's what is being missed in the discussion that job jumping has been a trend
1: that has gone on throughout my old life, my whole life and I'm an old millennial. You're on to the right number there which is about 18 months in my own research. That's really what it looks like to me is that, you know, a college graduate gets out of college uh, they join a company, the company invests a lot in them, brings them up to speed, and many of them leave after 18 months to take what they learned to take it someplace else. And they mm-hmm. get more money by doing that than they would if they stayed and waited for a promotion. So uh, companies have and some often time,
0: oftentimes, that jump is worth more than the promotion
1: would have been anyways. Exactly. So companies, uh, this is one of the issues. The companies, in order to stop this sort of migration, because... HR recruitment is a real hassle right now,
0: right? Yes. So yes. in order to
1: get people to stay so that you can reduce the load on your HR de- department, you, you've got to start uh, defining what are the incentives that are going to keep our people in their chairs, right? Keep mm-hmm. them doing what they're doing. Uh, be sure we communicate what the opportunities are. And our HR departments have, have a need to modify their practices in terms of the ways they help people move forward, right? right. And um, right. So that they, uh, they give them a reason to stay. Also, I think mm-hmm. the way that you know um, uh, businesses treat employees who are working remotely, um, there, there's a couple of issues here. Um, some employees, let's, let's face it, a lot of distribu- dis- distribution businesses, uh, mm-hmm. manufacturing businesses, have a class of employee that really has to stay working in the warehouse Correct. and can't, can't get three days a week at home and two weeks in the office. How do you compensate those employees for not having the same amount of flexibility as other people do? You know, yeah, because they're yeah, moving that, around. They're moving around also, right? Um, so that's an, so issue. an issue. That
0: that that's a major issue right yeah. there. And you bring up a super valid point because there's those. I don't know if you want to call them frontline workers. Uh, they were during the pandemic. Don't know if they're still considered that now. Not my place to decide. But there were you know, you have a lot, whether it's the Amazon warehouse workers or grocery store people that have to show up physically, you know, even grocery store managers. I mean, they don't have the luxury unless you're some VP or senior VP in that organization. You know, you don't have the luxury of being able to, to work remote. So how does how is that compensated? And is it compensated with with more incentives like, like you know, financial incentives, stuff like that. And how's that going to then affect the cost of goods as well, too, as they earn more? Because I am a fan of cheap
1: goods. Most of us are. But the, I think sure. you, you know, you've definitely seen it in that some of those essential workers, uh, at least in the Pacific Northwest where I live, have you know, gone from making like $12 an hour to $15, $16 yep. an hour. They've welcomed in even 14 year old employees in some of the fast food locations, right? Yeah. Because of wow. that, because they can't find enough people, and mm-hmm. uh, so there is going to be a higher compensation requirement that inevitably is going to trickle downhill to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? A lot of us that have been ordering food in, you know, with a delivery charge, are already yep. paying a lot more for it than we used to. And You're right, uh, right, right. Providers of those but- meals are actually making less than they used to because of the fees. From the delivery services. So there's still a lot yeah. of adjustment that's going to come there. But uh, one idea that I've seen done with warehouses, David, is some of them that have gone from like a five day work week mm-hmm. have gone to a four day work week. Four day, yep. 10 hours, 10 hours a day, four days a week. They have the same number of hours for the employee, but the employee always gets a three day weekend. Now their, their yeah. office workers don't get that benefit, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's a bit of a trade-off there, but I think what they're trying to do is equalize. I mean, two hours a day extra isn't
0: yeah. the end of the world. In my job, just because of what we do, how it goes, time zones, all that stuff, it's frequent that I'm having calls at six, seven, eight o'clock at night. I wouldn't say 8 o'clock as much. 8 o'clock's more of uh, we're in some sort of escalation. And I'm we're trying to find a problem. I but for the most part, you know, it's going to be in that time zone of six, seven. So working ten hours a day to me, I don't think it's that much. But I'm also not out there doing the physical labor part, and that's where, you know, maybe I have some learning that I would need to do on that
1: part to to get up the speed more. Yeah. Well, you know, some of us uh, work. You know, we have constituencies that are global, right? So we're we used mm-hmm. to having to do stuff even in the middle of the night, um, you know. You know, comparatively speaking. So just to meet times. Yeah, zone I've done demos at 3 a.m., yeah. at 2 a.m. because we need people from Russia,
0: uh, you know, the UK, blah blah blah. Yeah. Uh, this hey, this is the only time that it worked, and we had to do it. Then uh, my pre-sales guy Mike White always loved when I'm like, hey Mike, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be doing this yeah. at the 2:30 in the morning. Do you mind? Yeah. Oh, yeah, David, no problem. Yeah. yeah right. uh, it's, uh, behind the, behind the, the, the message he's taking. It's, it's, right? it's a five-user deal, Mike. You'll love it. You know? Yeah.
1: And, uh, <laughs> but I think the, the dynamic there is that, you know, the vast majority of people, you know, really just work in their own time zone, in their own community, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really want to work. The golden shift is still the daytime shift, right? And that's when they want to work. So, um, uh, I, you know, the that's the, the the dichotomy between the office worker and the, you know, the essential worker, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, and the, yeah. the pandemic has definitely brought that into greater focus.
0: So how long do you think this pandemic paranoia will last? And you know, what do you think
1: the ultimate impact on the office is going to be? Well, you know, there are some people that will um and are already pushing for, you know, like I'm not paying attention to these mandates. I'm doing my own thing. Um, and, but there's a whole nother class that are going to be reluctant to move back to the way it was. And so uh, whether that's, and you see that that
0: that's actually backed up in survey after survey, after survey, there is a huge percentage of people that, uh, they're quitting if they're being told that they have to go back to the office full time now there are some that will accept hybrid work um i don't know though i mean for since i don't know 2000 what seven or so i've always worked from home and i've been very responsible with it if i was told that i had to work in a a desk job you know three days a week even I would probably be quitting that job, to be truthful.
1: It, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of creativity on the part of employers because you're going to have some people that, okay, I'll come to the office uh, three days a week like you asked, but I have to have a private space to work in. Mm-hmm. Right? So then you'll have uh, you know, employers. If I'm the employer, I might say, you know what, I want everybody to be here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can do whatever you like on Tuesday and Thursday. Well, that means I have to have space for all those people to be there at the same time. And all to feel safe going forward. That's going to be hard to accommodate in the same space as we had before. So I think right. it, it's going to require, you know. And a then lot aren't of you paying?
0: Where... Uh, then aren't you paying for a lot of unused space then as well too? Because yep. then, on those days that they're not going to the office, I mean, you're 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 pretty
1: much just vacant space. So sometimes some of them are looking at it from a okay. The uh, marketing department is always going to be here on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays. And the, uh, you know, the uh, sales team is always going to be here on, you know, whatever day and whatever day so that they're, they're taking advantage of the space in the office, but then it's rotating, right? So you can spread mm-hmm. people out and what, then what the companies are doing that are doing that is they've got a cleaning crew that comes in at the end of the day on Monday and kind of wipes everything down, cleans everything up before yeah. the sales department gets there on Tuesday, right? Yeah, right. So a lot more attention to, you know, cleanliness and the environment. And oh, you know, yeah. the private offices that used to have a lot of personal pictures on the wall are now more, you know, sterile pictures of, uh, right. Right. And right. Controlled by the company is controlled by the individual in the office. And um, so my old offices were always full of paraphernalia that i gathered from 20 years of doing this. Uh, that wouldn't <laughs> exist any longer. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Because
0: it's a, uh, it's a rotating desk environment. But hey, Carl, I've had fun. Enjoy this interview. Yeah, for sure, buddy. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So the last question I got for you is where can people find your
1: podcast? Okay, and how can people digitally stalk you? Well, they can definitely, um, um, you know, find the podcast on YouTube on the Vision 33 channel. Right. So easy enough to locate that. And the uh, finding me my email address, right? So if you've got something that's kind of a professional uh topic you want to discuss or my opinion on is just carl.lewis at vision33.com. And I'm um, easy to locate there. And I think it's uh at Twitter. If you really want to find me there, it's at it, Carl B. Lewis, right? Carl B Lewis is my handle.
0: Carl yeah. loves tweets i can tell <laughs> I, i'm, I'm going to tweet you at this episode I, I i read them more than i send them how's that same here same here i probably read a lot more tweets than i actually send tweets but hey carl this has been great thank you so much for coming on to the show i hope you had fun and yeah. uh i hope this helps the connected enterprise get a whole new uh, uh a whole new audience through our show and the same david have a good day buddy. Yep. thank you you too cheers wow such an incredible chat with carl right first y'all know the routine if you found this interview helpful if it sparked those warm and fuzzies do me a favor hit that like button smash that subscribe button and if you really want to help us out please share us out to your network everybody knows shark bite biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of business We achieve growth by you sharing us out to your friends, your colleagues, your family. Get us out there, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you dwell on the interwebs. We are very grateful for your support. Now let's get back to our actual rock star guest, Carl. Future of the workplace is something I'm in the midst of actually finishing an article for Forbes.com with. So hearing Carl talk about it, being he's an expert about this, really hit home for me. Not only did he confirm my beliefs, but I was surprised just how aligned we were with our thinking about the future. We both do hold our own podcast and talk to a vast array of guests that are high-profile CEO-type individuals. So it sounds like Carl and myself are getting you know, the same clues, the same cues, I guess you could say, too, off these business leaders as we kind of hear a lot of them say a lot of the same stuff. A A hybrid workplace is what the future is gearing up to be for now. Now, as many of my listeners know, I went to college late in life. When I went to college, they were preparing us for a digital transformation type world. But what they meant by that at that time was with working with global teams and your colleagues or clients that are across the globe. How can you effectively collaborate on a project with somebody that has an 18-hour time difference? There's going to be some give and take as far as when those meetings happen. And let's face it, back then, the the digital collaboration tools were nowhere close to what they are today. Today, we're finding ourselves in that exact situation that they prepared us for. But instead of having our localized team in the cubicles next to us, they are remote collaborators. You know, they're doing basically what we were trained to do during college, many of us at least, with working with people globally, we have to do with the teams that surround us and that we do need to get very granular with. Now, I do think in-person time is needed. You know, I, I say warm and fuzzies each show. Like I just said it when I was saying about, hey, you know, if this episode gave you warm and fuzzies, Subscribe to this channel. It's hard to give people warm and fuzzies about yourself if you don't have face time with them. In person time is really critical to build a bond. Now, it, it's critical to build a bond, but it's not impossible to build a bond by doing it remote. Simple things like having your camera on even if they don't, so that they can see your authenticity, so they can see that you're being genuine and that you're not rolling your eyes, okay, when you speak, we'll go miles into the impressions that's forming in their minds about you. You can still build solid relationships digitally. Hey, overall, incredible stuff, Carl please make sure you check out the Connected Enterprise uh, podcast and also check out Carl's company, which happens to be my company too, vision33.com. We are great people, great experience, and you get to work with people like Carl, like me, who brightest of the bright to be able to help your business through your digital transformation. So question of the day, not really a question today. But it's going to be, hey, the first three people to email me, David at SharkBiteBiz.com, will get an absolutely free brand new Shark Bite Biz coffee tumbler plus a two-pound bag of the coffee of your choice from DeadHouseCoffee.com. Remember, do you want to be on the show? If so, shoot out an email, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Please, if you're watching on YouTube, join the channel. You can become a baby shark for only $3 a month. And lastly, another plug. I know I just said it, but go to deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK. Get 20% off your purchase. All the proceeds help us big the build the biggest, best show we possibly can. Happy holidays, and we'll see you all in season four. As you all know, I'm David Strauser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz.